When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to another chapter of the Book of Sean. It's the end of the week, and you know I love an end of the week show. We get to cover a lot of ground. We're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to talk about food, we're going to talk about Rihanna, we're going to talk about war. We got a lot of, we got a lot of ground to cover because there's a lot going on in the world. And of course I got a lot to say, as is my custom. <laughs> we're going to do some Ask Dr. Sean later, and I'm going to show you some of the best things that I've seen all week. These are some of the stories and videos that either I or my producers have come up with that we think will warm the soul or make you think differently about whatever it is you're trying to do with your life. Because that's the ultimate aim of the show, you know what I'm saying, to get you to think and feel better. Anyway, you picked the right night. You picked the right time to be a part of this conversation. It's going to be amazing. Prepare your hearts, people. Some joy is about to rise. Let's do some headlines. Highly, play the bumper. Let's talk about Russia. <laughs> we begin in Russia tonight. Juan is over there tonight. You guys don't know why. I don't get to talk to him much, but he's over there tonight. He's doing the sound tonight. Let's talk about Russia, Juan. And so apparently what's going on in Russia is that the country continues to see more and more men flee the country after Vladimir Putin decided that he needed more troops to be a part of his misadventure war. Vladimir Putin called up what I guess would be considered a draft so that he could raise some 300,000 troops. But what he didn't plan on was the extreme reaction of Russian men who apparently are not interested in dying for his misadventure. So along the Russian border for miles, you can see traffic because Russian men are fleeing the country. They're exiting the country. Just on the Russian border with Kazakhstan alone, some 98,000 Russians have crossed over into Kazakhstan because, once again, Russian men have decided this is not a good deal. Go off and die for a war that doesn't make sense? Not a good deal. I don't want to sacrifice, or rather they don't want to sacrifice their blood and their bodies and their lives for something that is completely foreign to them. Yeah. How about this? Normally when a country invades a country, the country that's invaded has people that flee. But this is the first time in human history, potentially, when the country that invaded another country, the invaders have people fleeing it. <laughs> Not the invaded, but the invaders. I don't think that's ever happened before. Where the, where, the, where, the, where, the, where the country who went in to ruin another country has its own people wanting to leave the country. Because they so much don't because they so much disagree rather with what's going on with this war, I think you know this is a potentially important moment in this war. Not the least of which because um, Russians don't want to fight for something that they don't increasingly don't believe in, and that's difficult. It's difficult to be the leader of an army that doesn't want to fight, or to be the president of a country involved in a war leading a people that don't want the war to be the case. It's going to be hard to win a war when you got soldiers who don't really want to fight. And I don't care what anybody says, shout out to the Russian men, okay? Shout out to the Russian men who have decided that they don't want to die for something stupid. I, I, I give big applause and big ups and big shout out to all the Russian men who have decided, you know what? I don't have nothing to prove. <laughs> my honor is not on the line. My manhood is not in question. I don't want to die for something stupid. This is going to bless you in a second if you let it. I don't want to die for something stupid. Okay? 
because the day is long past when an autocratic leader could just sit up in his little office and because his feelings were hurt, now he's going to send millions of people to their death because the autocratic leader is mad about something that happened in the world. So now millions of people have to suffer because one person sitting up in his little autocratic office wants to prove something about who and what he is. I think I think it's about time. And I think this is starting to signal it, signal it rather. It's about time that ordinary people decide what they want to do with their lives with respect to war. And governments can't just send its people into war without the people having a say so about whether or not they want to fight this war. I think that's where we are. And I think it's a good place to be. I think it's a great place to be. And I'll tell you why. Because these are not soldiers abandoning the Russian army. These are ordinary people deciding that they don't want to be soldiers. Yeah, and ordinary people get to make that decision. Ordinary people get to decide that our country was not attacked. My life is not in jeopardy. Nothing about my family is at stake in this. I'm not interested in dying for your craziness. And that's why I'm doing this story. Because there's a whole lot of people who ain't Russian. There's a whole lot of people that you know and I know who are who are, who have run off to sacrifice themselves for somebody else's craziness. You see, when it's all said and done, you've got to choose your battles. You've got to choose the hill that you're willing to die on. And don't let people send you into a sacrifice that you're not prepared to make. You thought I was just talking about the Russians? Come on, y'all. Y'all know me better than this. Come on. You have to, we all have to get to the place where we're making our own decisions and we get to decide that's not my fight, that's not my battle, and that's not my enemy. You always have the right to disagree with people who want to draft you into their conflicts, who want to legislate you into their problem. That because they don't like somebody, now you can't like them, and because they got a problem, no, 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 it don't work like that. Learn how to do what the Russian men are doing in Russia. And that is deciding for yourself what you will allow and what you will not allow yourself to be drafted into. Okay, that's not my problem. That's not my business. That's not my fight. Learn how to say that. Say it in the mirror. (laughs) That's not my problem. That's not my business. And that's not my fight. Because the life you save might be your own. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about Cuba, Juan. Cuba. I love Cuba. Let me tell you why I love Cuba, because I love Cuban cigars. Okay, don't judge me, but I do. I absolutely love them. But that's a whole other show. I hope I'm not going to get in trouble for saying that. I hope not. But anyway, so one of the most amazing things happened this week in Cuba. Uh, It's one of the most amazing things that I've heard. I'll tell you, here it is. Cuba legalized same-sex marriage. After a majority of Cubans voted in favor of, 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 of a new bill that strengthens the family and a new bill, new law in Cuba that wants to increase family protections for minorities on the island. The, elo- the, the Electoral Council, get my words together, said that 74 percent of those eligible to vote in Sunday's referendum turned out to cast a ballot and LGBTQ rights won. And so this new family code with all of these new protections give greater protections to women and children and elderly. And they also provide these new protections provide for LGBTQ uh, couples to marry and to adopt children. And you say, Dr. Son, what's so amazing about that? Well, we're talking about Cuba. We're not talking about San Francisco or New York or L.A. We're talking about Cuba. You got, you got what I'm saying? Cuba. So first of all, first of all, first of all, shout out to all the Cuban people who decided, you know, to extend new rights and privileges and protections to vulnerable people, because that's exactly what we should be doing. And remember, this new protect, this new law gets protections to women and children and elderly and LGBTQ couples, because it understands that all of these vulnerable communities should be protected together. So shout out to the Cuban people for understanding that you don't isolate vulnerabilities. You don't isolate minorities and pit one against the other. You protect them all. Shout out to the Cuban people for that. But this is really an impressive story because, wait for it, Cuba is basically a Catholic country. Most of the people in Cuba are Catholic. And there are other religions, of course. 
but it's a Catholic stronghold, okay? And the last time I checked, people, the Catholic Church was not big on LGBTQ rights. The last time I checked, the Catholic Church were not like, you know, gay folks can marry. We don't mind. We won't even care. The last time I checked, the Catholic Church still had this draconian, antithelovian view of these subjects. You know, gay people going to hell. Don't get me started on the Catholic Church. I'm, I'm resisting the urge to go totally into that rabbit hole. But you get the point I make it. I mean, most, most Cubans are Catholics. And, and, and the Cuban people decided that in spite of the fact that they are members and followers of the Roman Catholic Church, that, nah, we don't agree. <laughs> you, you can almost imagine the Cuban people sitting in church and then the priest is up there blabbling on about LGBTQ people going to the hell and all of that. And then the, and then the Cuban people basically going, <laughs> no. We, we don't agree with none of that. <laughs> I love the Cuban people. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. It's go, it goes to the last story I just did. I love it when people think for themselves. Can somebody clap? I love it when people think for themselves. When you don't let someone think for you or tell you what you should think or believe. Not even me. You know what I'm saying? Think for yourself. The Cuban people are like, yeah, y'all don't like LGBTQ people. Y'all, that's your problem. We don't have that problem. Think for yourself. Did you hear me, Juan? Think for yourself, man. You all, all, never, never hand your mind over to somebody else. Never hand your opinions or your decisions over to somebody else. You have earned the right to make this choice. You've earned the right to see the world in ways that make sense to you. Now, the way you see it may not necessarily be true, and it may not even be valid, but at least it's authentically yours. And the Cuban people sat up in church and decided they didn't agree with the priest. I, I love that. I love that. I, I love it when people can be a part of a religion and still not lose their minds. Where they can love God and love the scriptures and, and still be a part of a community of faith, but still not go so crazy and so far as to think that because you're a pastor or a bishop or a priest, that everything that comes out of your mouth is right. Hot grease, baby. I'm trying. Listen, I wish more people in this country understood that very basic principle that everything that comes out of your pastor's mouth is it may not necessarily jive with how you see the world. I mean, your minister, your pastor, your priest, your imam, whoever it is, they have the right to have the opinion that they have. I'm not knocking whatever opinion that they have, but just because they have it, don't mean that you got to parrot it. Don't mean that you got to repeat it. Don't mean that you got to believe it. Because last time I checked, the priest, the bishop, the pastor, they're not God. They're not God. And let me say something you really ain't going to like. We don't speak for God either. <laughs> because God can speak for God's self. God don't need us to speak for God. God can speak for God's self. And if God's got something to say, I, God, if God is God, God should be more than able to communicate whatever God wants to say to you directly to you. I, I'm shout out to the, shout out to the Cuban people. You know what I'm saying? Y'all not clapping for them. But I really listen, somebody needs to give them a standing ovation. Because when it's all said and done, let me say this to you. When it's all said and done, I don't want any of us to get to the place where we assume someone to be an enemy or we assume someone to be a friend just because somebody else said so. That ain't how it works. Have your own experiences with people, have your own relationships with people. Form your own mind and draw your own opinions. And that's what the people of Cuba did. In spite of what they heard in church, they said, you know what? Mm-mm. Everybody deserves to be protected. Everybody deserves a little sunlight. Everybody deserves a little rain. Everybody deserves some protection. Everybody deserves the opportunity to be better than what they are. And I don't have to agree with you or like you or do what you do to make sure that you have the right and the opportunity to be something better than what you are right now. Let me move on before I take this break. Oh, this, this really, let's move on people, but this is gonna just, this one is gonna get my blood boiling. So prepare ye thyself for this. Let's talk about Raphael Warnock and uh, Herschel Walker. And, and, and so I woke up the other day and I found a poll which show that Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker are essentially tied in their Senate race to be the to, to represent the state of Georgia in the United States Senate. In fact, one poll says that Raphael Warnock has slipped behind his Republican challenger 
within the, uh, with two months left in the race. So depending on what poll you look at, Herschel Walker now leads uh, the senior pastor of the Ebenezer Baptist Church, Raphael Warnock. Um, Walker leads him 47 to 44 percent. And, and, and when I saw that, I knew I had to bring this to you because my only question is, how is this even possible? How is it even possible that Herschel Walker is leading in the polls or is tied to Raphael Warnock? I don't understand this. Sometimes I bring you, sometimes I bring you stories that, you know, make sense to me and I want to tell you what I think. And then sometimes I bring you stories and they just don't make, they don't make a bit of sense. This makes no sense. How is it even possible that Herschel Walker, who is a man who struggles to command the English language, <laughs> is tied and leading over Raphael Warnock, who has a PhD in systematic theology from Union Theological Seminary and went to Morehouse College. How is this possible? A man who can barely speak English in coherent terms so as to put his verbs and his nouns and his adjectives in the right places, so as to communicate thoughts. Herschel Walker can barely, he can barely muster that. And now he's leading? What is going on in Georgia? Forget, forget Herschel Walker's intelligence, right? Which I call in the question. The man has legitimately, legitimately proven himself to be a hypocrite on the issue of illegitimate children. And he's leading? What is going on in Georgia? I don't understand it. Herschel Walker recently said in an interview that we have too many trees. We don't need to protect trees. Don't we have enough trees? Belithing the fact <laughs> that we need trees for oxygen. And you wonder why I question some of his intelligence. What's going on in Georgia? Someone help me, please. What are y'all doing? What are you doing in Georgia? People of Georgia, black and brown people and white people of goodwill and other people who live there, you cannot let Herschel Walker represent you in the United States Senate. You just cannot let this happen, okay? You cannot, you have to have a line. And at some point you gotta say, you know what? We, this is too far. And Herschel Walker representing the state that gave us Martin Luther King is just going too far. So y'all make sure y'all fix this in Georgia, okay? Because if y'all let Herschel Walker become your senator, I'm going to talk about you like a dog. We'll be right back right after this. Think for yourself. Think for you. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still chanting think for yourself over the break. Listen, that's been the theme of the show so far. Um, and uh, wait till you hear this story with respect to thinking for yourself. We're about to go left, okay? You ready for this? Highly play a bumper. They're going to need it. A recent article in the Washington Post reported that, listen to this, almost 60% of the calories that adults eat in this country are from ultra-processed foods. Think for yourself. Think for yourself. Let's keep going. They include products that you may not think to as being junk food, or what we would call junk food, like breakfast cereals, muffins, snack bars, sweetened yogurts, and soft drinks. 60% of what adults are eating in this country are ultra-processed foods. 60%. And these are the foods that are associated with obesity, heart disease, hypertension, type 2 diabetes, and colon cancer. 60% of the calories that adults eat in this country are from hyper-processed food. You guys remember during COVID when y'all were hemming and hawing about the COVID vaccine and how you didn't want to put none of that mess into your body? I'm not putting that in my body. Remember you were doing that? You were doing your head just like that too. You remember that? Oh, yeah, vaccine. That ain't no vaccine. Where they make that vaccine? You were just hemming and hawing because you were so ultra against putting... And, and then, you know what? It turns out... <laughs> If, if we had only known that 60% of what you were already putting in your body was already ultra-processed from a laboratory or somewhere other than the ground. Yeah, I, it's, it's a pregnant pause. I, listen, we, was, we were so worried about the COVID-19 vaccine, but we should have been worried about the muffins because <laughs> it's the muffin that's going to kill you. People, what are we doing? 
Like, what are we doing? I, I'm one of us. I'm, I'm listen, I'm an American adult. <laughs> 60% of what we eat as American adults, it's not natural. It doesn't come from the ground. That's a problem, don't you think? We've, we've got to stop this. And I know it's hard because things that come in a little bag or a box are usually so good, salty and sugary and just the way that we like them. But listen, if, if, if the resulting effects happen to be obesity, heart disease, hypertension, type 2 diabetes, diabetes rather than colon cancer, then we got to make a change, people. I mean, I'm not saying cut it all out, but 60% of what we eat as adults come from a test tube? <laughs> I added the test tube part. That was not in the report. That's just me being silly, okay? I'm just saying. But you get the point I'm making. We got to go back to, you know, eating healthy. You know? That's why I went to the salad bar today. <laughs> I knew I was going to do this story. And normally I would have stopped on the chips aisle because there's, there's, something, there's something about a buffalo chip that just speaks to my spirit and calls me in the wee hours of the night. But I was like, I got to stop this. I went right over to the, to the salad place. Got me some beans and kale. 60% of what we eat isn't real. This is a problem, people. Okay, we got to stop and we can control this. We can do this together. We're going to pull ourselves out of this mess. See, here's the thing. I think, I think nobody really ever taught us when we were growing up how to eat or what to eat. And when it's all said and done, you know, black and brown people and even poor white people in this country, our diets are the things ultimately that kill us. Once again, during the pandemic, and then I'll be done with this. During the pandemic, we were talking about how, you know, they were trying to do this to us and they wanted to get us. But the reality is, if they wanted to get us, they don't have to do it with a virus. If somebody wanted to undermine, undermine rather, the, the, the life expectancy or the life quality of black and brown people and poor white people in this country, you don't have to come up with a virus to do it. You just have to keep feeding us what we're eating now. That's the reality. That if we continue on, in the same way that if we continue to put carbon into the air, we're going to ruin the environment. If we continue to put processed foods into our body, we're not going to live as long as we should. This is a call for everybody watching and everybody listening and everybody, everybody to put down the bag in the box and pick up something green, something that came from the ground. Okay, because I want us to live. Let me move on. Let's talk about Rihanna. You like Rihanna? Took him a while, but he, 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 he thumbs up. Rihanna. So apparently, um. Did you hear that Rihanna is going to be the headline for next year's Super Bowl halftime show in Arizona? This week, the NFL shared a post revealing that Rihanna will perform um, for the hat. And that's the post that they put out there. Um, how did they know that's Rihanna? The tattoos? Okay. I'm glad, I'm glad you said that because I'm like, I, I would not know that that's Rihanna. How do you, you know her tattoos that well? Okay. I don't understand. Anyway, apparently people knew that that was Rihanna. And so now Rihanna is going to do the halftime show. Remember last year, uh, Dr. Dre, Snoop Doggy Dog, Eminem, Mary J. Blige, Kendrick Lamar, 50 Cent. Uh, they all did the halftime show last year uh, for the Super Bowl here in Los Angeles. And they did a great job, by the way. Everybody loved that halftime show. It was iconic. All of them doing a marvelous job to represent themselves and the culture. But I'm only bringing this up for one particular reason, and here it is. So is it okay for black folks to perform at the halftime show for the Super Bowl again? Because I didn't get the memo. Is it okay? I, just let me know. I mean, I mean, Kendrick Lamar, Snoop, and Mary J. Blige, 50 Cent, and now Rihanna. Because y'all remember when it wasn't okay, right? When it wasn't okay for black people to do the Super Bowl halftime show. And for, you know, for a couple of years, if you, if you, if you did anything with the NFL, you was a sellout. <laughs> you was an Uncle Tom. So apparently that, that's not the case anymore. Apparently it's quite okay 
and, and I'm, not, I'm not being pejorative or even sarcastic. I'm just sort of observing things as I observe things that apparently it's okay. And I'm not knocking anybody. I'm not knocking Rihanna. I'm not knocking, I'm not knocking none of the people that's performed. Because number one, that's not what I do. But also because what I'm really being sardonic about is the fact that this is what happens when your activism is based upon passion and not principles. When your activism is based upon passion and not principles, your activism only lasts as long as your passion lasts. And now years later, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of waned. Now we're back. Because I, I got some friends who didn't want to watch the NFL and didn't want to watch the Super Bowl. I was never with that. I, still, I kept right on watching the NFL and right on watching the Super Bowl. And let me tell you why before you judge me. I was not I was not in, I was not in the business of being mad about some one person not getting a job. That that was not what I was into. I was into the issue of policing and policing reform. That was my issue. One person not being hired by the NFL was not the thing I was not the hill I was going to die on. See what happens when you think for yourself? Now I didn't want anything bad to happen to Colin Kaepernick and I wanted him to you know have a job but I was not going to be boycotting because one person couldn't get a job. Policing in America was my issue. Let's go back to the Super Bowl and apparently how it's okay to be a part of it again. Because when it's all said and done, nothing about the NFL has changed. You see, when you couldn't perform for the NFL if you were black or brown and without being a sellout, nothing, none of those issues have gone away. Everything that made it not okay to perform at the Super Bowl are still a part of the NFL right now. The only difference is we don't care about those things as much. Don't get mad at me because I'm being honest. (laughs) We don't care about those things as much. So now if you're Rihanna, you can perform. If you're Kendrick Lamar, you can perform and nobody will call you a sellout. But just a few years ago, oh, my God. This is, but this is what happens when your activism is based on a moment, on a mood, and not real legitimate policies and principles. That's the point I'm making. The point I'm making is not that the NFL is good or bad, it's, and, it's, and, it's not, it's, and it's not that people are good or bad for performing at the Super Bowl. The point I'm making is don't engage in activism if you are not clear about what it's going to cost you. So anyway, for all of you out here trying to change the world because you believe that the world needs to be changed, as I'm with you, by the way, here's what you should know. Passion's not enough. Here's what you should know. The mood is going to change. Here's what you should know. It's your principles that drive you forward. It's your principles that root you and ground you in a struggle and a fight. So that long after the rest of the world has gone back to watching football and performing at the halftime show for the Super Bowl, you will still be fighting the good fight. Because what you believed and what you're trying to achieve is bigger than the Super Bowl. Okay. I think I'm done. Yeah. Let's take a break. I got got a great story coming up for you uh, that's going to teach you that no matter how old you are, doesn't matter. If you really want to do it, if you really believe in it, if you're really trying to accomplish it, it can be done. Don't go anywhere. You're going to want to see this right after this. Welcome back, everybody. So um, I have this, this story is really interesting because you get to a certain age in life and you start thinking that certain things are behind you or that you've missed certain opportunities. And I love a story that reminds us that that's not true. Like, I'm not saying that it's not true in a lot of cases, but in some cases, life finds a way to empower people to do things in spite of the fact that they may not necessarily be age appropriate or age conducive or age adjacent for the ability uh, to be able to embody or accomplish a certain thing. My point is, sometimes life will make you feel like you're too old. And, and when you really want to do something, you've got to push back to life and say, you know what? I don't think so. And that's why I wanted to bring you this story. Because I love this little story. Normally when a college freshman joins a football team, it's not a big deal. 
College freshmen join football teams all the time. But Ryan Rochelle joined the North Dakota College of Science Wildcats. And it's a big deal because Ryan is 49 years old. Okay? Ryan is 49 years old. You heard me. And he's 49 years old playing college football as an undergraduate. Which means that almost all of the players on the team are at least half his age. He could be their daddy. <laughs> he's old enough to be their father. And now Ryan is playing football with these young men. In fact, the head coach of the football team is a year younger than Ryan. Yes, the head coach is a year younger than Ryan. And when Ryan went to the head coach and said that he wanted to play for the team, head coach name is, is, uh, is Eric Eisendorf. When he went to Eric Eisendorf and told Eric that he wanted to play for the team, Eric said, look, we'd be more than happy to have you. If you can cut it, let's make it happen. And guess what happened? Ryan could cut it. And he made the team at 49 years old. Now, I don't know what the backstory is here. That is to say, I don't know what happened in Ryan's life when he was younger that made it impossible or improbable for him to play football when he was in his 20s or at least in his 30s. I, I don't know what happened. But here's what I do know, that in spite of whatever happened to Ryan when he was in his 20s, he found the courage in his 40s to go back and to retrieve the content of a dream. He, he reimagined what he might, how he might be able to do it. You see, when you're 20 years old and you want to play football, you think, I'm playing football because I'm, I'm going to the NFL. See how all these stories relate? It's amazing how we do this here. <laughs> but when you're 49 years old, you're not playing football to go to the NFL. You're playing football because you feel like you owe yourself something. You feel like there's something that you want to prove to you. And that, to me, is always better than just trying to go somewhere and make a lot of money. Ryan may not make a dime playing football, as most 49-year-olds won't or shouldn't. But the reality is what he's going to get out of this experience is far more beneficial. For the rest of his life, he will never be able, he will never have to say, rather, what if I had only. Now he knows. And there's somebody watching tonight, and there's something you really want to do. But you think you're too old to do it. You think you're too black, too white, too gay, too straight, too male, too female, too short, too fat, too rich, too poor. You think you're too something. And I came to tell you that it ain't true. I don't want you to come to the end of your life and have a bunch of regrets where you're sitting around thinking about and bemoaning about what would have happened if you had only done what Ryan did. Yeah. Yeah. Go on and do it. <laughs> if you really want to get it done, go on and do it. And let everybody else watch you celebrate the moment and the courage and the clarity that you've maintained and found because you are doing the thing that you most want to do. Sometimes you have to forget about what people say about who you are or what you bring to the table or what you're trying to do. And just believe in yourself enough to give yourself a chance to win and to have victory. And again, winning at 49 ain't the same as winning at 20. See, that's good. Winning changes. The older you get, the more you live. It, it's different. So what you thought was victory at 18 will not be what you think victory will be at 30, and so on and so on. But, what, but, but whatever the content of the victory might be and is, Ryan gets to experience it because he dared to step out on the field and to do what I always say is the requirement of greatness. Greatness is the willingness to look like a fool. And if you are willing to look crazy to other people, then you are probably also eligible to be greater than they are. Anyway. So, you know, get to chasing your dream, man, okay? Because uh, it's still calling you. All right. Part of what we love to do here at the end of the week is I get to show you some of the best things that I've seen all week. And uh, we got a video. And um, take a look at this video. Okay, Jace, you want her to be tall or short? You want her to be skinny? I want her to be like my age. We know you want her to be your age. I said, do you want her to be tall? Tall, you, yeah. A little, or you want her to be short? 
Yeah, sure. I want to be bigger now, cause every every okay, so man you, is bigger than girls, so I want her to be like short. You want okay, so you want a short girlfriend. You want her shorter than you. Okay, you want her to be skinny, or you want her to be thick, or you want her to be fat, or you want you know. No, no, no. I want a skinny. So you skinny. want her skinny. Yeah, a skinny girlfriend. What What do you consider mommy? Do you consider mommy? What is mommy? Am I skinny? Mama, you pretty. Sit back. Sit back on. Look, you ain't got to go up there and hug me and tell me that. Jace, what, I, I know you said I'm pretty, but what do you consider me to be? Am I skinny? Am I am I fat? What, what do you consider me? You are getting fat, but I love you. I'm just saying you are getting a little fat. Okay, so you don't you don't want a girl my size. What? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I, I love you. I'm just saying no, baby, you're getting a little big or like big or something you getting like that <laughs> okay <laughs> this video is problematic on a lot of levels <laughs> this, there's a lot of problems with this video this my producers chose this video <laughs> this, this is deeply problematic okay what in the world did, what what did we just watch together <laughs> what what Oh my God, first of all, I gotta deconstruct this video, okay? I can't help it, it's just what I do, all right? The young man wanting to fat, skinny, that, that, oh, that's not the criteria we should be feeding to our young men or young women about what they want, right? Right, that just, that just feeds a whole another set of problems. If we're gonna if, we, if we're gonna ask our kids what what they want in a spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend, how about we root those things in character issues and not just somebody fat, tall, skinny, light, dark? Because that's how kids end up growing up with complexes reinforced by conversations that they had with their parents. And how about we not freak the little kid out <laughs> by having him compare his future girlfriend to his mama? That's <laughs> not that's not a good idea. A lot of problems can happen when, when, when those things are collapsed. And poor mama got called fat. <laughs> the kid, the kid ended up calling the, Where did we get this video? <laughs> Let's take a break, because we all got to recover. We'll be right back. Yes, 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 yes. I, th I think we've recovered from, from the video. All right, let's do some, let's do some best things that I've seen all week. Yes, beloved. So, you know, after the death of, of, of Mesha Amini at the hands of the morality police in Iran, women across the country and indeed the world have been protesting the draconian requirements assigned to women under the country's version of Islamic law. Amini died in the hospital on September the 16th, three days after being pulled off the street by the morality police and taken into a facility to be re-educated. Uh, and to learn lessons for modesty, as it were. And now women across the world are standing in solidarity with uh, the Iranian women by cutting off their hair and organizing to protest and demand that some things in the country be changed. And I thought about this notion of morality police for a little while, because in America, we like to think that we are better than other countries. But the truth of the matter is there are a lot of people in this country who would love to have morality police. And you know I'm right. There are a lot of people in this country who would like nothing better if there were a bunch of people who just rode around making sure that people were dressed the way they wanted them to be dressed and holding hands with who they wanted them to be holding hands and all of that. In fact, there are a bunch of people in this country who already think that they are the American morality police. They tell you what movies you can watch. They tell you what books you can read. They tell you who you can love. They tell you who can get married and who can't. America has its own version of morality police. It's just that they haven't been empowered by the government to do what they do, because thankfully, this government endeavored to separate religion and, and, and politics, church and state, to keep those two things apart. And remember, when the founders created separation between church and state, they were not trying to protect the, the, the religion from the state. They were trying rather to protect the state from religion because they knew how coercive and powerful religion can be. Morality police. Before you get to laughing about the Iranian people tolerating morality police and wearing the long, in the, yeah, we have them here. 
I, I do stories almost every other week about how local politicians are trying to ban books, ban TV shows, morality police. You got, you got, you got men sitting around telling women what they, what they can do with their uterus. You don't think that's morality policing? Of course it is. How's a man who's never, who's never had a uterus, will never have a uterus, <laughs> going to tell a woman who does what she should do with it? Morality police. But what I also see in this story is that most white evangelicals think that, they, that what they believe, that most white Christian evangelicals think that what they believe and how they see the world should be the rule and the norm for everybody. To me, that's no different than Iranian morality police. Maybe a different degree, maybe difference in effect, but not different in intention. Here's the other thing about this story. See, what you're seeing going on in Iran and with women around the world, you see, at some point, people get tired of being trampled over by the iron feet of oppression. And at some point, you can't just treat people any kind of way and expect them to take it. People are not going to just sit around and let you break their spirits, destroy their bodies and ruin their minds without any response at all. There comes a time when people get tired of being trampled over by the iron feet of oppression. And there comes a point in the development of every human being's life where you find the courage to stand up for yourself. That's what's going on in Iran. And the same thing that's going on in Iran, America learned the lesson because you're not at some point you trampled over people one too many times. Dr. Martin Luther King said something really powerful. He said that a man can only ride your back if it is bent. He was absolutely right. People can only ride your back if it's bent. But the moment you straighten up is when people stop getting a free ride that they've been enjoying for a long time. What we're seeing in Iran and in women across the world is that women are deciding, they're deciding to straighten up. You're not going to ride their back. You're not going to build your world, your morality, your sense of masculinity, your sense of politics or religion based upon their degradation. See, what's true for politics is also true for the personal beloved. There are people in your life who other people keep trampling over and they just think that the person that's being trampled over is going to take it forever. But the reality is people get tired and nothing is more powerful than a man or a woman who is sick and tired of being sick and tired. That's the one who will take a chance. That's the one who will put their put their put their faith and their courage out there to do extraordinary things. And if you're the one that's being trampled over by somebody else, I got good news for you. Sooner or later, the best in you is going to rise up. Sooner or later, your better angels are going to tell you that you don't have to take this anymore. Sooner or later, you're going to find the courage and the temerity to rise up in the strength that remains and belongs to you. And when you do so, you are going to find that there is something absolutely glorious about you. Shout out to the Iranian women. Shout out to everybody who has decided today, yesterday, or maybe even tomorrow not to be trampled over. Let me do one more before I take this break. So this is an interesting story, and I found this story, and I really like this, and I wanted to make sure I brought it to you. So Miss Marjorie Kohler grew up as an only child, and that she always wanted to have a large family, but she was an only child in her own. And so she prayed and planned and she decided that when she had a chance to have her own children, she would have as many children as possible. Well, be careful what you ask for, beloved, because Miss Marjorie was good at keeping up her promise. So she ended up, listen to this, she ended up with her husband having 11 children, 56 grandchildren, and now Miss Marjorie has 101 great-grandchildren. Here's a woman that started out as an only child and prayed to have a bigger family. And now she has 11 children, 56 grandchildren and 101 great grandchildren. In my house, I would say to this, be careful what you pray for, because I don't want 101 great grandchildren. I can't remember all them names. <laughs> There's too many names, too many birthdays. But Miss Marjorie got what she prays for. And she's 100 years old now. And she says that she's blessed to see all the generations that have come out of her. Yes, 
11 children, 56 grandchildren, and 101 great-grandchildren all coming out of her. You've heard the phrase, e pluribus unum, meaning from many to one. Well, Miss Marjorie is the reverse of that. <laughs> out of one comes many. <laughs> and I celebrate her. I celebrate the fact that she got what she wanted and that she got what she prayed for. And that's really my prayer for you. I pray that you get what you want and that you get what you pray for. And just like Miss Marjorie on some distant date, on some distant day in her distant past, hoped and believed that she could create a family bigger than the one that she was born in, only to discover that she exceeded her own expectations. That's what I want for you. I want you to exceed your own expectations. I want your life to conform to something greater than even the content and the details of your dreams. I want you to have something that when you get it, you can say to yourself, only a God could do this. I want you to wake up one day and say to yourself, how in the world did this happen? I want your joy to rise. I want your happiness to take a seat in the middle of your life. And I want you to have everything that you ever thought you would be. It's my prayer for you. It's my belief for your life. You and I, we touch and agree. And somehow, some way, it just might happen. Let's take a break. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back, everybody. So, you know, those are the headlines and those are the best things that I've seen all week. But uh, we can't get out of here without doing a little Ask Dr. Sean, because if I don't do Ask Dr. Sean, you guys are like, what did you do Ask Dr. Sean? We like Ask Dr. Sean. So, Hiley, play the bumper, man. Always, 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 I'm always here to give advice and to give my little insight on some of the important themes and questions going on in the world. We got a video. Let's take a look at it. Hi, Dr. Sean, my name is Twani Holmes, and I have a question for you. As I maneuver single life post-COVID, I've been hearing a lot about feminine energy, and I wanted to know from a man's perspective, how would you define feminine energy? What attributes would I need to display that would be considered as feminine energy? Wow, okay, um, thank you for the question. Um, I got a couple of responses to that. The first one is, I'm not an expert on feminine energy. Like I, I have no idea on what the content of feminine energy should be. Um, I think that I think that I think it's it's problematic on a certain level when women empower men to give them content on how, as women, they should show up in the world. Now, if the question is what is a man looking for, right? Um, it depends on the man. Different men will consider different things to be a part of the panoply, a part of the matrix of what a feminine energy might be. And depending on what that man has a proclivity for, right, will determine if those things are attractive to him. I'm, I'm, I, I just, I'm just real hesitant, and I never, ever want to be the guy on TV telling women, the man on TV telling women how to be women. <laughs> like, I, no. I, I, I have no idea. I have no insight on how it is a woman ought to be, should be a, a, a better woman or more uh, feminine. Um, and of course, you know, we can, we can debate endlessly as to what that term even means, right? And, and, how, and how that term even makes sense or doesn't make sense in the world uh, in which and by which we use it. Um, I know there's a lot of people on TV, a lot of men, a lot of black men, by the way, who, who made their bones and their careers off telling women what they should be telling women what they don't need to be anymore and telling women what they need to, you know, act like, dress like, sound like, work like, sex like to make men happy. Um, and while it is true, while it is true uh, that nobody knows what a man wants better than a man, right? I, that's very true. It is also the case that no, no man will ever know what it is to be a woman better than a woman will. You follow what I'm saying? So feminine energy, generally speaking, I'll take a stab at it. Feminine energy, generally speaking, is whatever energy the woman who I'm talking to is bringing to the table. It's what you bring. Let's get out of the whole thing of feminine energy. Let's do a little work, okay? Let's do a little work. Because the Greek word for woman is the word genomehi. Genomehi. And the Greek word for woman means becoming. It means becoming. 
So in Greek, whenever you see the word woman, it's gentle, not whenever, but often it's the word genomehi and it, and it embodies the spirit of giving birth, of recreation, of always evolving, always changing, always adding, always multiplying. To me, that word genomehi and that spirit is the spirit I would want anybody, any woman in my life to have. No matter who she is, from mother to daughter to niece to whoever it is, to friend, the mother of my children. I want any woman to embody the power of that, of what it means to become. Because the blessed sister, the great sister, the wise sister, the deep sister is the one who is always evolving. She is always turning corners, reaching landings, climbing mountains and overcoming valleys which is quite frankly the legacy of black women in this country, black and brown women in this country. And quite frankly, the legacy of most women in this country considering how we've treated women in this country. So if I could add anything to your question to give you anything remotely similar to an answer, it would say, it would be rather, Jinomehi, always grow, always evolve, always reach, always accomplish the extraordinary. Because in the presence of that, no matter who he is or what he wants, if he is attracted to greatness, he'll be attracted to you. And if he is turned off by greatness, turned off by growth, no matter how you look or how much weight you lose or how much, what dress you wear, he'll never be connected to you. Because who you are at the fundamental level will always be a problem for somebody who can't handle what you bring to the table. <laughs> Woo! Listen, people, thank you for tuning in. I'm glad you came tonight. I'll see you next week, okay? Y'all have a great rest of the night and the day. Be good to each other, beloved. Be warm to each other. And by all means, grow, because that's what we try to do here, okay? I love you. See you soon. College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at a $1,000 savings plan deposit for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at one of 25 $1,000 savings plan deposits for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. Look for the Save Now, Save Later giveaway under the scholarships page. Log on and register today. That's iowastudentloan.org.